Well, as I said at the beginning of the uh, service today, we are starting this new series called Explore God as we, together with other churches, are exploring seven big questions that he people have about life and about God and about faith. Uh, let's watch this. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life, I'd prefer to do more. Because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. If, uh, if we could send a drone up in the air right now and kind of look down, that's about what we'd see. Of course, we'd see cars and snow in the parking lot, right? But, uh, but that's, that's about what that view would be like from about 200 meters up in the air. Now, if you went a little bit higher, up to about 1,000 meters, uh, that's what it looks like. We learned one really, really important fact. There's a golf course across the street, so that's kind of cool. Um, if you go a little bit higher, you could still probably make out your house if you knew exactly where to look, but you're starting to get a sense of the area our church is in here on this earth. And of course, if you go up to 100 kilometers, you're starting to see even more. You can start to almost get to downtown Chicago. If uh, you go a little bit further, up to about 1,000 kilometers, you could see that not only are we just outside of Chicago, but we're in this thing we call the Midwest. And you can see Michigan and Wisconsin and a little bit of Iowa and Indiana maybe even a little bit of uh, Ohio over there. And uh, if you pull back up to 5,000 kilometers, you're starting to get a sense of the United States, uh, this country that we're in. And if you get back to 10,000 kilometers, you can see uh, a lot of North America. And you've got to get out to about 20,000 kilometers if you want to get a sense of where we are on this earth. Now, it's interesting. When we sent astronauts to the moon, now, they're walking around on this other planet, I mean, this other you know, moon, this other body in our solar system, and yet the thing they were most fascinated with was the view of the Earth. If you talk to those astronauts, what you hear from them is, is it was stunning to them to be walking around the moon and look up and see the Earth there. One called it this little blue marble. And he said to think that everybody, everybody they knew, everyone that had ever lived, lived on that little blue marble. Uh, they said they came back from that forever changed. It gave them a different perspective on life uh, to, to have that view. Now, even though humans haven't traveled further than that, we have sent um, instruments and satellites and probes and things like that further. One of them uh, went to the surface of Mars and turned and looked back and took that picture. That's what the Earth and the Moon look like uh, from the surface of Mars using a telescope, by the way. Um, and uh, and we've, we have sent things even further than that. This is Voyager. Voyager is a satellite that we sent out into the universe, a probe that we sent out. And uh, we launched it and sped it up to about 38,000 miles an hour in 1977. And it's been traveling ever since then. 
Uh, by the way, as of January 1st of this year, it was 13.8 billion miles from the Earth, still sending back data, by the way, and they believe it's going to keep doing that for at least another five or six years, giving us some incredible knowledge about this solar system that we're in. But in 1990, instead of Voyager facing outward, they turned it around and took a picture. And this is the picture they took. And I don't know if you can see it. I, I'm going to put an arrow up there to help. Do you see that little white dot right there? That's us. That's the Earth. I want you to think about that for just a minute. On that little, tiny, white dot Every single human being that has ever lived has lived on that dot. That means everybody you know, everybody you love, every ancestor that you have has lived on that dot. Every single thing human beings have written and uh, created is on that dot. All of it. Just one tiny little dot in our solar system. And by the way, our solar system is just one tiny little dot in this galaxy that we're a part of, of hundreds of millions of other solar systems. And by the way, our galaxy is just one galaxy in thousands and thousands of them in one, just one little corner of this universe. So if all of that is true, and by the way, it is, how is it possible that anything you or I do matters one little bit? I mean, think about that for a minute. If, if, if every human being that's ever lived and everything every human being that's ever done has happened on that one tiny dot in one tiny little solar system in one tiny little corner of one galaxy among hundreds and thousands and millions of them in this vast galaxy and this vast universe in which we live, then, then nothing you or I do can possibly make a difference in the universe. Nothing we say, nothing, no way that we act. It doesn't matter whether you love someone or whether you hate them. It doesn't matter even if you kill them because it's just one little incident on one little tiny corner of the universe. How is it possible that anything we do matters? And by the way, I'm just talking about our relationship to the, to the universe around us. What about time? What about we start thinking time? Even in the Bible, in James, it says this. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. When you consider eternity is 50 or 70 or 100 years really much at all? How is it possible for any of us to have any meaning or purpose in this universe. Ernest Hemingway put it this way. He said, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Is that true? Saw a video recently of a, a pastor who uh, talked about his dad, who was also a pastor, wrestling through this question with someone. Watch this. I grew up in England. My dad was in England his whole life um, and, until he was about 40, and then we moved to the States. But when he was a young man, he would do a lot of work in the coffee shops in Liverpool, um, pretty tough spots, actually, and all the hippies would hang out there. And, and he tells a story about one day going into one of these coffee shops, and 
It was all hippies, young 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And one boy sat down at his table and looked at him and said, what are you doing here? And my dad says he had flowers in his hair and it had been so long since he'd washed his hair that my dad wondered if the flowers were actually growing there. <laughs> he said, well, I'm here to have conversations with you guys. And the guy said, well, what do you want to talk about? And my dad said, well, you know, life and why we're here and purpose. And, and the guy looked at my dad and he started to laugh and he goes, purpose? And I just said, so why do you think you're here? I mean, why are you on the planet? Why are you taking up space? The guy looked at him and he said, you know what, my parents told me I was an accident. And because of the way I live my life, I'm assuming that my life uh, will end in an accident too, that my death will be an accident. And so the way I kind of see my purpose is I'm, I'm an accident suspended between two accidents. My dad took out his Bible, he had it with him. He had like a little pocket Bible with him. He went to Psalm 139. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It doesn't sound like an accident to me. It sounds like incredible purpose that every single day that you live, God ordains it. And my dad shared the gospel with him, walked the whole way through it. And my dad said, does that make sense? He goes, well, the story makes sense, but something doesn't. And my dad said, what? And he said, I don't think you really believe that. And my dad said, why would you say that? And he said, because if you really did believe it, you would have been down here before now, and you wouldn't leave till all of us had agreed. And he stood up and walked out. It was a stunning moment for my dad. I know a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people look at life and it seems purposeless meaningless. In fact, there's a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes, um, really wealthy, rich guy who had everything, and his conclusion was, man, every, every day under the sun is just kind of meaningless. You, you go after everything you want, you get it, and it's just kind of meaningless. And I know a lot of people feel that way, uh, but the rest of the Bible teaches us that it's anything but meaningless. There's tremendous purpose in life. So let me ask you, are you simply an accident suspended between two accidents? Why are you here? I don't mean Trinity Lutheran Church on Sunday morning. It's for the donuts, I know that. <laughs> Why are you here? Why are you on this earth? Why do you take up space and use up oxygen? Why, why do you exist? Well, as he said in the video, the Bible does wrestle through that question. And specifically, in the book of Ecclesiastes, this guy, we're told he was a, a, the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Solomon, 
Solomon wrestled with that question. Now, do you remember Solomon's story? When he first became king, he asked God for something. God said, you can ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And do you remember what he asked for? Wisdom. And God gave him that wisdom. And Solomon believed that that wisdom would help him figure out why he was here, what his purpose in life was. And yet he starts this book of Ecclesiastes with these words, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. You see, he was searching for the answer to that question, why are you here? And, and he believed that wisdom and knowledge would give him purpose. He believed that the more he learned, the more he applied that wisdom to what he learned, he would be able to figure out why he was here. But in the end, look at what he said. He said, the more I learned, the more knowledge I had, the more wisdom I had, the sadder I got and the more grief I found. In other words, he said he could not logically figure out what his purpose in life was. But he didn't give up. He said, how about pleasures? I mean, he was rich. He was the most powerful, wealthy man in all of Israel, and so he could have anything he wanted. And so he, he found himself the finest of foods, many women, thrills, anything he could find to try to fill up his life and find purpose in those things. And if that wasn't enough, he decided he would accomplish great things. He built an incredible temple and an even bigger palace, by the way. He, he accomplished incredible things. He was known throughout the world for his accomplishments. And yet when all is said and done, did he find purpose and meaning in his accomplishments or in his pleasures? He said, no. He said, I looked at what my hands had done and everything I had achieved and everything was meaningless. He said, it was just chasing after wind. But he still wasn't done. He said, well, maybe, maybe the problem is that I, I'm, I'm getting all this stuff too easy. Maybe it's because I'm not working for it. And, and so he tried hard work and toil. He, he put his back into it. He put, he put his full attention into it. He, 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 he strived for hours and hours. And in the end, he said, you know what? That doesn't matter either. No matter how hard you work, eventually you're going to die and you're just going to give it all to somebody else. He said, that too is meaningless. It's really interesting. Near the end of the book, he struggles. He starts to maybe get close to the answer. I'm not sure whether he got there or not. But he says, first of all, remember the creator in the days of your youth. Before days of trouble come and the years approach when you find them and say, I'll find no pleasure in them. He said, so, so he, he said one part of the solution he thought was, just remember how you used to view life when you were a kid. Before you got some scars. But then he ends his book with these words. He says, I've, I've heard it all. I've studied it all. I've rehearsed all the arguments. He goes, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. Because that's our duty. Did he get there? I don't know. The fact is, he did get here. He came to know and understand that without God, life is Meaningless, nothing we do matters if we're all just an accident, if everything here is just because of randomness. But Solomon started to touch on what the rest of the Bible teaches clearly, that with God, 
Life has meaning. Everything has meaning. God gives everything meaning in our lives. It's ironic, isn't it, that Solomon's dad, King David, wrote this psalm. The psalm that that pastor in the video pointed to when he was trying to help that young man understand meaning and purpose in life. That psalm has these words, you formed me in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, you are the person you are, not because of some random combination of of chromosomes and DNA. You are who you are because God carefully combined that DNA to make you the person you are. And if you've done the, you know, like the 33andMe or whatever it is, that, or the Ancestry.com DNA test, uh, my wife Betty gave me that for my birthday uh, a little over a year ago because she knew I was kind of interested in that stuff. And here's what I found out. I thought I was like, you know, 100% German, and I'm not. There's like a bunch of Swedish and stuff in there. But here's what I found out that's really cool. I'm 2% Irish, which means St. Patrick's Day was awesome this year. I keep threatening I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, kiss me, I'm 2% Irish, right? Because, yeah. But here's the interesting thing. I told that to my brother and sister, and they were like, cool, we're Irish. I'm like, you, you might not be. And they're like, wait, what? Because everybody's a little different, right? Everybody gets a little different mixture of that DNA from their parents. Maybe they didn't get that 2%. And, and again, what the world would teach is that that's all random. That, that, that it was just a flip of the coin that I got 2% Irish. I might have got 10, I might have got none, Right? But the Bible teaches us something different. That you are the person you are, the the color of your hair, whether you're tall or short, whether you're handsome or not so handsome, whether you're wise or not so wise. the, the, The Bible teaches that you are the person you are because God made you to be the exact mixture of gifts and struggles that you have. And he did that for a reason, for a purpose. The psalmist goes on to say this. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. In other words, the days of your life are days that God formed for you. God put you there so that you could make a difference in this universe. So that your life is not just an accident suspended between two accidents. But your life began with planning, and each day is lived with purpose because of your God. But I have a question for you. What's the fastest growing religion in America? What do you think? Turn to the person next to him. Tell them what you think the fastest growing religion in America is. Go ahead. Just take a second. What do you think it is? You guys already know. Don't say anything. Okay, a lot of people argue, by the way, I think you were all wrong, whatever you just said, okay. A lot of people argue that the fastest growing religion in America is something called practical atheism. And practical atheism is this, it's made up of those who claim to believe in God, but they live as if God does not exist. Brennan Manning put it this way, he said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. In other words, here's the truth, and this is true for all of us to some extent, maybe some of us more than others, we can sit here on Sunday morning and say, I believe I have purpose, 
I, I believe God shaped me to be the person I am. I believe that God has a plan for my life. I believe that God ha- can give my life meaning and purpose. And then we go out of these doors and we live exactly like everybody else around us as if we think success or money or possessions or even relationships are the answer to meaning and purpose in our life. And they're not. And then we as Christians end up feeling like life is meaningless, just like Solomon did. And and we're missing the point. Jesus talked about this. He was uh, preaching uh, this thing we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he was primarily talking about worry. And and by the way, we're going to use this same passage later this year to talk more about worry. So if you're a worrier, hang on. We we got something for you in this. But but what I want to show you in this passage is this. Jesus is talking about the pursuit of possessions and things. And he says, look, the Gentiles, they chase after that stuff. They're all about success. He goes, and your father, your heavenly father knows what you need. But then Jesus says this, here's the answer. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying, what our life is supposed to be about is coming to understand God's plan and purpose for our lives. And by the way, we could do a whole sermon on that, right? The reality is each one of us has been shaped differently by God and and learning to understand how you are shaped and and looking and seeing how you can use that for God's plan and purposes in the world around you. That's how you come to understand what life is all about, meaning and purpose and how you can make a difference. And Jesus is saying that's what we ought to be all about. Not chasing after stuff the way the rest of the world does. I'm going to introduce you to a guy. This guy's name is Kenny Sailors. Now, Kenny was born in 1921, and he passed away just a couple of years ago at 95 years old. Now, you may not know Kenny's name, but I guarantee you know what Kenny did. Let let me show you a picture. Now, this is the Wyoming, uh, uh, University of Wyoming basketball team from many, many years ago. Uh, Kenny's the guy taking that shot right there. I want you to notice what's different about Kenny from all the other guys on the court. His feet are off the ground. You see, when Kenny started playing basketball, he and everybody that played basketball were taught you keep your feet on the ground. When you're playing defense, you keep your feet on the ground. When you're playing offense, you keep your feet on the ground. When you shoot the basketball, if you want to be accurate, you need to be anchored firmly to the ground and take two hands and take what they call the set shot. That's the way to shoot a basketball. But see, growing up, Kenny had a problem. He was 5'6", and his brother was 6'5". And so one day, Kenny was playing against his brother, and he decided he wasn't going to keep his feet on the ground, and he jumped. And instead of shooting with two hands, he was going to shoot with one hand up above his head like this. And he made the shot. And he ended up getting a scholarship to play basketball at the University of Wyoming, and he ended up playing in the NBA. Now, he was 5'6", so he didn't have that great an NBA career. But, uh, but he invented the jump shot. If you watch basketball today, everybody shoots like this, and Kenny started it. In fact, there was a, uh, I was reading an account of a scout that was at this game, and he said the first time Kenny dribbled up the court and he did this jump shot over his head like this, he turned to the guy next to him and he said, what the heck was that? <laughs> Never seen it before. You go to the University of Wyoming today, you'll see a statue in Kenny's honor with him taking his infamous jump shot that he invented. 
His, they retired his jersey and his number. He's, uh, he's famous in, in Wyoming and really anywhere across the country. Anybody that knows basketball knows the guy that invented the jump shot. Uh, read this week about one time when Kenny was uh, getting near the end of his life, and all of a sudden he looked up, there was Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight just had to come see the guy that invented the jump shot. He changed the game of basketball. So that was his purpose, right? Not according to Kenny. Listen to what Kenny had to say. As an old man, 90 years of age, I've experienced much in my lifetime, and all of it wasn't good, and certainly all of it wasn't bad. But one thing that has stood the test of time is God. He has satisfied me in a way that all the fame and success could never do. Nothing does compare with my experience with Christ in the life that I've had in Him. There's nothing in this world that can even come close to it. Now, I'm not in the Hall of Fame. So far, I've never made it. If I were to make the Hall of Fame today, oh, you know, it'd, it'd be nice. I mean, I'm a human being just like everybody else. I know I belong to the greatest Hall of Fame that any man or woman can ever belong to. And when you belong to that, and you know you belong to it, you don't worry about these Halls of Fame that men create down here. Don't mean that much to you. There still are people working to try to get Kenny into the Hall of Fame, even after his death. I don't think it would really matter to him now. Folks, apart from God, life really doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't matter whether... You change the game of basketball or you live out your life in obscurity. It doesn't. But with God, life has meaning. If you know and come to understand that you have a God that created you, that formed you to be the person that you are, and that that God does care about each day of your life, he planned those days for you, and somehow in a way beyond our understanding, he weaves all that together to make a difference in the universe, you have purpose. You have meaning. And the Christian life is about coming to understand that purpose and live that purpose. God loves you. He created you. He has a plan for you. He uses you to make a difference. Amen.